0: So a wise man once said, if you don't know where to start, go back to the beginning. And essentially, that's what we're doing with this series, Uh, going back to the beginning of things, the beginning of the beginning, the opening words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, maybe four of the most important words that were ever written, because these words dictate the trajectory of the universe, our world, and of course, more importantly, our lives. And the existence of God, of course, affects every single aspect of our lives. And it's especially important for us to understand the beginning of how God wanted things to be, how God created things initially to be, how God designed things to be. Because I think this is not a shock to anyone. Our world's a little crazy today, our world is a little bit messed up, and our world's really confused, confused about a lot of basic things. Confused about basic things like what's my purpose in life? What's the meaning of life? How am I supposed to relate to someone else and for that matter? What even is is truth anymore? That person has a truth, but that person also has a truth and a hundred other people have a hundred other different truths But apparently we can all be true at the same time But That just doesn't seem satisfying even to our world and we're so confused and we're so lost. We're asking so many questions if you don't know where to start Hey, go back go back to the beginning That's what we're going to do today as we go back to essentially the beginning of relationships by looking at the very first human relationship the very first marriage a husband and wife Adam and Eve being brought together and We're going to be looking at this marriage and the inner workings of this marriage because this what marriage is is essentially the foundation of Of the family and the family is the building blocks of society and so if society is made up of people everybody comes from a family and at the center of marriage god's design was or for the center of family god's design was there to be a marriage then we have to understand marriage is vitally important for us to actually make sure we understand because it doesn't just affect the husband and wife it affects the kids it affects the grandkids it affects the friends the neighbors the future in-laws the future outlaws it affects everybody that it comes into contact with. It has this trickle-down effect, right, throughout society. And today what we're going to focus on isn't so much the outward design of marriage. Like one man and one woman for life, that's true, that's good, that's biblical, there's a lot, there's a whole other sermon that we could have. But today what we really want to focus on is, is God's inner working of marriage, his inner spiritual design Of marriage because this is vitally important that we we make sure that we understand because of how much it affects and I'm pretty sure you know exactly what I mean because whoever you are you have been impacted and influenced in some way by marriage and some of you know that marriage can be a mess you know it can be yelling shouts and grudge matches over the pettiest small little molehill that turns into this giant mountain. It can be fights. It can be arguments. It can be days in divorce court. It can be just weeks, uh, months of custody battles. But a lot of you also know that marriage can be just the opposite. It can be the closest, most beautiful and intimate relationship that you will have this side of heaven. It can be the couple who is, has been married 20 years, still dating every week, every month. He, she, they're, they're still holding each other's hands like it was their very first date. It can be the couple celebrating their 50th, 60th wedding anniversary with kids, with their family, with their friends, with loved ones, everyone in awe of just how close and how strong their love is, stronger than it was and than it ever has been, and it just keeps getting stronger. And the question we want to ask is, what makes marriage like that? The way God designed it, what makes marriage good like that? And before we dive into answering that question, I want to say I know that not everyone here is married. I I, I do see that, I do see you. Uh, I know that we have people who are divorced for any number of reasons. We have some people who are widows, widowers. I know we've got people who are single and hoping to date and marry. I know we've got some people in our church who are single and wondering, am I ever going to get married? Is that ever going to be something? And so what I want to say, uh, just two things to you especially. First of all, if you are single, do not get caught up in the Disneyification, if you will, of this world with the happily ever afters and somehow our society is gravitated towards this uh, unspoken truth that if you're not married or if you're single, maybe there's just something wrong with you. You know, you don't have a soulmate. What's going on? That's not true. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he was single his entire ministry and he actually, in 1 Corinthians, advocates for singleness. So that's, that's a blessing. And Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, was single his entire life. He's kind of a big deal. We kind of like him. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong if you're single. And the second thing that I want to say is that if you're single, don't think that this does not apply to you at all. It does. Because you've been impacted by marriage. You have the ability to encourage, to be an example still, to help out and to look for things. There is a whole bunch of ways that this will impact you and influence you too. So what is it that makes that good marriage? What, what is it about God's inner spiritual design that he has framed to, to set up a really good marriage? Well, that's what we got to dive into. But before we dive into that actual first union of Adam and Eve coming together, we want to start actually at a f- couple verses that happened just before that first marriage. So I'm going to start at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what God is doing is he is illustrating and setting out, essentially, the the spiritual framework of how mankind is going to relate to him. You can choose life and joy and God and blessing, or you can choose sin and death. You can prioritize me and love me, or you can think you know better for yourself and, and choose death. So we're setting the, the, the groundwork, the spiritual rules, if you will, the ground rules of how they're going to relate to him. And someone may say, okay, so what exactly does this have to do with marriage? Well, what I want to ask you is, who is God talking to? Is he talking to two people? No, he's, he's talking to one. He's talking to Adam. Eve hasn't been even created yet. Now, he knows what he's about to do. He knows he's about to create Eve, give her to Adam in marriage. He knows that. But before that, he lays out these ground rules, this, this foundation, if you will, of how mankind's going to relate to him, to Adam. In other words, Before God gives Adam a family, he gives him a calling. A calling to lead. A calling to take these instructions and give them to his future wife and relay them to the future kids and the future family and so on and so on. And this is before sin enters the world. We'll talk about that next week. Genesis chapter 3. Just turn the chapter, right? So this can't be sexist. This can't be chauvinistic. This is good this is god's design so in terms of our first point what essentially happens is god has called calls husbands to be the spiritual head of the household and this principle is a thread that runs all the way through the bible and as we saw earlier the apostle paul picks up on it in ephesians chapter 5. the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now It's been my experience that oftentimes when I see Christ's sisters, whatever age they are, coming across this principle for the first time, they kind of meet it with a frowny face. Because I think especially today, we've been kind of culturally conditioned to bristle at the idea that there's a a difference in roles. And when a, a wife or woman sees this principle that the husband is the head, Well then, okay, so are you then insinuating that I, the woman, the wife, am now inferior, and I'm lower and lesser? And maybe it's really good for us to just define what it doesn't mean to be the spiritual head. Being the spiritual head does not mean that you have the right to use and abuse your wife. That you get to ring this bell, and she gets to come to you on your every beck and call... It's not a trump card that you get to lay out for any argument or dispute or discussion that you're having and saying, well, yeah, but you know what? I am the head of the house, so you know what? It doesn't matter. I get to say, I get to do whatever I want. No, that's ugly. That's, that's sin. That's not what God has in store. So what does it mean? And simply put, when we put Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 together, I guess what you could simply say is what it means is that the husband is called to leave the family, lead the family spiritually like Christ. And you notice what Paul says in these words right in front of us. The husband is the head of, the, of his wife, but what does he use the analogy there for, right? As Christ is the head of the church, right? And how did Christ lead the church, lead us? Abusively? Selfishly? No. Sacrificially, wholeheartedly, in fact, he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How? Oh, he, he gave himself up for her. Like, that's what it means to be the spiritual head, to put her spiritual needs, the family's spiritual needs, ahead of your own as your top priority, just like Christ did, who said the best thing that I can do for my people is to lay down my life, so that they can have life with God. I'll tell you what, I'm convinced that maybe now more than ever, we need to hear this, we need to learn this, and if nothing else, be reminded of this because there is a little bit of an epidemic going on in our country today where men, and especially young men, are being encouraged and taught and and trained and conditioned to grow up by not growing up. That you can just stay Peter Pan. That you can just go ahead and be the stereotypical Homer Simpsons and Peter Griffins of the world and everything that you see on TV because, you know, just go ahead and fit into the mold of, of, of just tipping those beers back and just thinking that you can just sit in your Lazy Boy all day and just have one thing on your mind. Like, that's, that's what we're being slowly kind of conditioned to be. And in the church, Satan's getting a foothold. Especially with men. And conditioning them to be good at a lot of things, just as long as that thing isn't God. Go ahead and get excited about tons of stuff. The game on Sunday, right? The fishing trip, the hunting trip. Get really excited about that. Just don't get excited about God. Go ahead and open up the the tablet or your phone with your kids on the couch and watch as much Netflix and YouTube as you want. Just don't open up a Bible. Teach your kids how to hit a baseball. Teach your kids how to shoot a jump shot. But don't teach your kids how to repent, how to pray, how to give generously, how to love God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Don't do that. Show your kids that work is kind of a big deal, a necessity to pay for the bills. It's a big responsibility. In fact, it's a non-negotiable But when it comes to God and church, well, that can just get bumped at the smallest thing that comes up on your schedule. And model for your kids. Model for your your sons, the kind of man they should be. Uh, Someone who thinks very carefully and plans very calculated about this life and the world and makes all these plans all the way out to retirement but cares very little about the next. Go ahead and model for your daughters the, the kind of husband, they should look, the kind of things they should look for in a husband, the kind of man that they should want, someone who who loves them, who cares very much about them and their needs and takes care of them, but thinks very little for their soul. Like, this is the reason why in church today, women outnumber men two, sometimes even three to one in churches all across America, why In any given church, on any given Sunday, in any given service, you will see wives who look like single moms. And maybe they can't even fight their children, or they're exhausted from fighting their children to try to get them to come, and and maybe sometimes they have to even drag their husband to come along because they're trying to play both roles of her and him, and it's exhausting. But you know what happens when a man, when a husband owns this role and owns this responsibility? I haven't really talked to a, a wife who says, "Yeah, he had to, man, he had to drag me all the way here." To no, it just something beautiful that happens. I could get into all the stats; I don't have the time about the likelihood of children staying on in the faith after high school and through those those years of young adulthood and everything. The likelihood of children's faith continuing to remain on for the rest of their lives skyrockets. When the dad, the husband, the father owns this role. Almost like it was designed that way, right? So husbands, if you're like me this week and this whole time that I've been preparing for this message, maybe what God is calling us to do is repent, and run to Jesus. Because that's where we see what a real man and a real husband looks like. The husband of the church. That's where we see Jesus Christ laying down his life for his bride. For you and me. And his top priority wasn't his comfort, wasn't his needs, but hers, the bride's. It was yours that he gave up everything he had literally his life and death his blood so that we wouldn't have to rock around with guilt and shame and embarrassment over the times that we've had these misplaced priorities and we've acted selfishly and we've neglected this role but instead so that christ could say you're forgiven you're loved that sin is gone And not only does Christ forgive you of your sin, he sends you this awesome thing called the Holy Spirit to live in you so that he can live in your home. So that he can help you live out this role in line with God's design. So that you can own it. So that you can influence the family and everyone else around it so that the kids can catch you with an open Bible, or see you praying, or having spiritual conversations in the home, and they realize this isn't just a thing that we go to on Sunday. No, this is like a regular part of our lives, because it's something that I see Dad owning and doing. This means something. But your wife, when when she looks at you, she gets a glimpse of Jesus, because she sees someone who isn't thinking of his needs, but is thinking of hers and the family's spiritual well-being as his top priority just like Christ did for the church and she'll like it and I think you'll like it but I know God will like it and will definitely be glorified in it so that's maybe part 1 part 2 ladies what's your role in the marriage God spells it out in Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to pick it up at verse 18. The Lord God said, "It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." So, he's made Adam. He's made Adam perfect, but it's not good for man to be alone, so he wants to make his life better than perfect, even better, right? And so he's going to make someone, but not but not someone just like him, someone who is like him but different, complementary. And using God's own words, our next point today is, God calls wives to be the spiritual helper of the household." And much like we did with the head, it'd probably be very good to define what the helper doesn't mean, because a lot of times, ladies can look at this. And men and women can say, so this seems a little offensive, a little regressive, a little oppressive. This seems chauvinistic. This seems like the woman is now the inferior one, right? And some people have unfortunately acted this way. That the woman is inferior and the man is over her and she's less than a human being and she's just there for me and and it's ugly and it's terrible. And that ditch has caused sometimes the overcorrection to go to the other ditch, which is, no, 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 this, this is wrong. This is not biblical, that what pastor is preaching is just reading way too much into it. And another example of systemic oppression of a man in the church trying to keep women down and in their place so that men can be in positions of power and to keep us going down either ditch, we need to understand that every time we read scripture, we read it with a certain cultural lens and bias, if we realize it or not. That there are voices in society and the world that are influencing us directly or indirectly. And so what I'm asking us to do is take those lens off and let scripture interpret scripture. Let God's word speak out for what it is because when you do, when you see the truth of what God has to say, Ladies, being offended at the idea of being a helper is the last thing that you should really be. The word helper, the Hebrew word there, is the Hebrew word etzer. And that Hebrew word, if you look up how that is used and who it most often describes in the Old Testament, it's God. God is our helper. God is our strength, right? God is the one who is there. What what this is, it's not a position of inferiority. If anything, it's a position of strength. It's meant to complement and benefit what is already there. And that's also what the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 picks up on. He says it this way. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Then later on, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And I remember the first wedding I ever did, the bride-to-be, she told me right to my face, um, Kendall, I am not going to say in my vows that I'm going to submit to my husband. And as we talked, when I found out that she had no idea where that phrase even came from, we had a mini Bible study, kind of like on what we're talking about, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5. And she saw that submit is not this dirty and toxic word that the world wants it to be, or rather in the biblical sense here it's beautiful what's the analogy as the church submits to Christ last time I checked that's a pretty good thing <laughs> that's a pretty beautiful thing right like submit just simply means to place yourself underneath and that's what the church does with Christ all the time yes Jesus thank you <laughs> you you lead we'll follow You lay down your life, you have a great idea, and you know what's best for my spiritual well-being, so I'm going to follow, and I'm going to support you and your mission and your kingdom and do whatever I can to help you. And that's God's design in marriage for the wife. And women, just like men, can do a ton of damage when they do not own and love their role. You can too. And I know it's hard to be a a godly woman these days, a godly wife, when a lot of husbands are less than perfect, and we mess up and we're selfish at times, and you're multitasking and doing all of these things. And when we're less than perfect, it can be really easy to think that we're grown men, and he should be able to fend for himself, and so I'm just going to be short and curt and disrespectful, I gotta say, that has the potential to to unravel a lot in the marriage. I think of Proverbs 14, that both encourages and warns women. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. And no, this is not, uh, it's not as if Proverbs doesn't have anything to say about men, it's just an application right here, but you get what he's saying? You have an incredible position of strength to do so much good but you also have the ability to cause so much harm. And so what is God calling you to do? Help, support, and respect. If not for him, then for Christ. And I wanna be very clear, this is not a call to just blindly follow wherever your husband is, is leading or taking the family because if he is not leading and owning his role, you have the right to call him out on that. You need to call him out on that because that's help. That's biblical. Every home leader starts out as a rookie and can't become a pro so to speak you know by himself it's not good for man to be alone we need help and god designed that and so wives if if there's a part of you that feels convicted by the disrespect or the the treatments or the things that you said maybe to your girlfriends behind his back or the venting that you've done to other people and the frustration that you've had remember your helper jesus who was just in every way, shape, and form, as bit as talented as the Father, not inferior to him at all, but submitted to him as the head, and willingly placed himself under the Father and the Father's plan, and you know what happened when he did? He saved you. He redeemed you. He died for you. He gave you life. He forgave all of those sins. And he received eternal praise for it. And so I guess in summation, if you wanted to sum up everything that we're saying here, what is it that makes for a good marriage? It's God. And to borrow a visual analogy in closing from another pastor, I'm going to show you this. He calls it the marriage triangle. You can Google this. You can find this right online. But I think it's just a good way, a good metaphor, to help summarize everything that God is teaching us. So let me explain it. What you have is God at the top, husband and wife on the bottom corners of the triangle. And you notice that as long as they're far from God, they're far from each other. There's this distance. There's this tension. And people, they may hear these words and and roll their eyes at these roles and say, that's— bogus, whatever. I'm not going to do that. As long as they're distant from God, they're going to be distant from one another because they're going to be looking at marriage the way society looks at marriage. He's there to serve me. She's there to meet my needs. And it's just going to be this crazy cycle, this selfish thing that keeps going on. There's always going to be this gap. Well, what can happen is one of those people can move up the triangle to get closer to God and when they do the husband or the wife moves up closer you notice what happens to the gap between God it starts to shrink they start to experience more of that peace love self-control uh, patience kindness joy the fruit of the spirit right but you notice the distance between their spouse doesn't necessarily change because you're still doing marriage with two different philosophies right she wants to spend the time here. He doesn't. He wants to spend the money over here. She doesn't. And, and there's still this gap. But what happens when the husband and wife at the bottom start moving closer to God at the top? That distance between each other starts to shrink and shrink and shrink as they become truly one flesh, almost like God designed it that way. Because what you start doing is you start playing the Jesus role to one another. Husbands look at their wives and much like Jesus looked at the church, his bride wasn't perfect, it was a little messed up. Husbands don't love their bride based on the quality of their actions but based on the calling they have to lay down their lives, just like Christ laid down his life for me, for her, for all of us. And wives get to reflect Jesus Christ to their husbands. And even though no husband is ever going to be as perfect as the Father in heaven, just as Jesus willingly submitted and placed himself under, wives can reflect that compassion and grace and love To their husbands when they do that. And when you do that, blessings follow. The marriage is stronger. The children look at mom and dad and they see a glimpse of God and how they love and treat one another and it creates a stronger marriage, it creates a stronger family, and it has a trickle-down effect all the way throughout society as if this was all by design, and it was. When we do things by God's design, he shows us that blessings will follow. Amen.